So obedience is a part of serving a king, but our king is good, he's perfect. The things he asks us to do, the things that he commands us to do are not like a burden, like it's, a, it's for flourishing. Yeah. Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series, from current events to fascinating finds, to conversations that take us deeper into the word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and it is Christmas week. Just a few days until Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and we have our largest service of the year in a couple days. Um, It's our Christmas Eve service, which this year... We're doing four services, uh-huh. but we're starting at noon. We're doing it the earliest we've ever done a Christmas uh-huh. Eve service. Well, we figured out, I think, that people, for the most part, have something to do the night of Christmas Eve, yeah. right? A lot of family events and dinners. Yeah, so there's this cutoff point, and yeah, and four services, um, they're all full. Like, <laughs> It's going to be a... Isn't that fascinating when you think about it? Like For us, like we've been minding our own business, hanging out down on Lewisburg Pike for few years now and it's kind of fun but i'm still genuinely surprised like with two thousand people like that's a cutlass concert in you know san bernardino like we you know it's fascinating now of course we can't fit them all at one time which is why we got to do four services and but i'm genuinely excited like if you hear this before uh you are in for a treat and literally if i'm not doing anything at all the rest of it is going to be worth the effort, the stuff that Jason's got planned. Some incredible music is planned for yeah. our services this year. So you grew up in Ohio. Did you guys do Christmas Eve services? No. We didn't either. The Catholics did. Like, like midnight. Like they had to stay up really late. All the Catholics were tired. Yeah, it was Christmas a morning. big deal. I mean, I've talked about this before, but I grew up in a very um, Catholic town. And midnight mass, like Christmas mass was a huge thing. I mean, that was what you did. No, I didn't do that um, until I was dating my now wife. And she wasn't Catholic, but they lived just down the street from a large uh, um, Catholic church. Um, really? So you, would St. you do Peter's. the midnight mass with Jen? So, yeah, we would just walk down. and It was a whole different experience. Oh, buddy. Um, and the Catholics can prolong every, I mean, their ability to make a wedding last like three hours. But it was so, it was so beautiful though. It was like, like a kind of a Hallmark movie. You had snow on the ground. You had all the candles lit around the yeah. cathedral and you had the choir and the robes and Christmas music and chorus. And I, I mean, it was like, did they do the communion on a mass? Yeah, they would towards the end. But you couldn't do that. No. Did you have to show your Catholic I think, card? I think together? we kind of sneaked. I think we kind of snuck, snuck out in. at the end. Yeah, because I think you have to have Catholic ID. It's like a, a Vax card, oh, but for, for sure. communion, I to be able to show <laughs> oh, that gosh, you. I, yeah. I can take communion here. I honestly, I, I, I don't even know how they. Do it's that. so true, though. No, yeah, that's. And you have to put it on your tongue, which I'm. Yeah, yeah. we would kind of sneak out towards the end of that, but for like the songs and the music and the the reading of. Uh, the word. Okay. So were they like Gregorian chants or no, it was like, like hymns? Like just like a like a children's choir and Oh yeah, yeah. Children's choir Catholics. Um, Pipe organ? Oh yeah. Like yeah, it was just like a whole experience. Like I mean it was yeah. brand new to this Baptist kid. I was like, what is what is what is this? Yeah, we didn't I mean, us charismatics did not do that, but I'll tell you what we would do. We hit the new year. 
man, we'd be worshiping, praying, prophesying our way into the new year and whatever, like, and it always rhymed, you know, whatever the prophecy for the new year was, it had to rhyme, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, filled with glee in 23. I, I, don't, right. I don't know what it would be. I'd have to check with Kenneth Copeland at what it, what it is going to be for 23. No, it's but, true. It was always something like that. Yeah. But Christmas Eve. So I, I'm genuinely, uh, excited to, to like for this, for us, it's a new thing. But I mean, I still remember the first time we did the Christmas Eve service here in this building when we first had the building. And that was, I mean, we were packed and we were, we were going to be happy. I was going to be happy if there were like 40 or 50 people. And uh, we never saw most of those people again because I, I, that was the realization that in, in our culture, there are folks that, you know, just like the minute clinic is where you go. If you got a cold, the little neighborhood church is where you go on Christmas Eve and um, and that never, like, we never saw any, which is fine. It was just, I was like, okay, this is a new thing that we've stumbled into here. And now Lifeway is, uh, cause you know, the Baptists, they've got numbers for everything. The Christmas Eve is becoming the largest service of the year for most, uh, Protestant churches. Yeah. The past couple of years, it has surpassed Easter as the most attended holiday service. Isn't of that the year. weird? That's fine. I mean, we, uh, that certainly... Right now, it's true of us. I don't know what Easter 2023 will be, but but for sure. I mean, we have 2,000 people registered. Um, and by the way, it's like we 100% are going to be presenting the gospel 100%, like uh, give an opportunity for people to you know, family visiting neighborhoods, whoever's visiting, like to, you know, that's a chance for us to really bring the actual good news on Christmas Eve. Well, the team in seven, as we were affectionately called. Um, that's my wife and I and our two children and their wives and grandbaby Thailand uh, have opened up seven seats for uh, for everybody because we're we're heading north for Christmas and um, and it was kind of a race. I don't know if anybody's paying attention to the weather right now. I think everybody is paying attention to the weather right now. Now it's ridiculously like historically cold weather is coming. And I don't think people understand what what wind chill of minus 25 feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a first for a lot of Tennesseans. Um, we used to get, and I'm sure you did too in Nebraska, but we would get these polar vortexes occasionally, you know, every few years in Ohio. Yeah. I, we didn't know they were called that. We just knew that North Dakota was screwing us as far as we could tell. Like we're like, do you, like it's like no degrees. So cold. And things start shattering at certain temperatures, and I don't know where it is, but it's close to negative 10. Yeah, things start breaking that you didn't think could or would. I remember one time we were in Canada with one of my artists. They were playing, man, why we were doing a Canadian run. It might have been with one of your bands, quite frankly. If it was, I'll tell you exactly why we were doing it. (laughs) The Canadians, they don't care. Minnesotans don't care. And they'll stand in line outside with no degrees to get into a concert, and no one else is there. So you just have the whole market to yourself. We did that every January and February. I'm almost certain, now that I said it out loud, that it was my artist Fireflight was on tour with Disciple in, on a Canadian run in January or February. And it was so cold that when they opened the trailer to pull out the drum cases, <laughs> my, our drummer's drum cases shattered. I told you, man, stuff shatters at a certain temperature, like, yeah. The drum cases, yeah, which are sorry made about of that. plastic, apologize just that. absolutely shattered. I feel terrible. <laughs> and it was just like ruined. I mean, we didn't have drums. Yeah. Like we had to borrow drums the rest of the run. Like it was a whole thing. Well, something that most um, people don't know is that if you have a tour bus 
and you're touring during that time that your pee tank will freeze this solid. Is also true, yes. And so you have to schedule a day through, and there's only certain truck stops that do this. One of them is in Chicago. I off forgot of about this. Yes. So you have to schedule a day to go stop in the shop so they can <laughs> dethaw the pee tank. It's literally like a 40, 50 pound block of frozen <laughs> urine just sitting in your tank. And, uh, and it, it, it's, it doesn't smell great once they start thawing it out. Like you, you got to have the bus cleared when they start down that road. But so this yeah, is we, what I'm saying. People are going to learn a lot about how to live life in negative degree weather here uh-huh. in the next few days. So are they saying negative 25 here, Winchell in Nashville? Uh huh. Yes. So oh. apparently not everybody's paying attention to that. I mean, I, I knew it was going to be cold. But. Friday night. So Thursday night into Friday morning will be the most severe. And then Saturday into Sunday, um, <laughs> it'll be maybe 10 degrees warmer. So, you know, negative 25 to negative 15. But like, I don't know if you can really tell a difference. But yeah, man. So we're, we're like, we're heading north to try to be there for Christmas, and we're trying to outrun this cold front that's coming in with well, some precipitation. Yeah, because you guys have, uh, like, blizzard options there. I don't know if it'll be blizzarding there, but there's snow coming that way. Yeah, there's definitely snow. There's 45-mile-an-hour winds attached to this uh, to this temperature drop. It's going to be wild up north. I've got friends driving to Iowa and Wisconsin and Michigan that are rethinking everything right now. I would be. If I Michigan, no way. <laughs> 20 Six inches no. for the middle of Michigan no. right now. No, there was a time where Shannon and I would drive home over Christmas because we felt this sense of obligation, you know, to our families. And at one point, we're realizing, you know, the road goes two ways. It turns out, but I, I mean, there was it was probably the fifth time leaving North Dakota, ch- literally trying to avoid a bl- like being chased by a blizzard. Yeah, where if you miss it, you're going to be there a couple of days extra, and we never. Wanted to be there a couple of days extra. And I remember white knuckling down I-29, like, can't even see the, like, it's, I'm just following a semi because that's the only thing on the interstate. And they, we made it barely before they shut the interstate down coming out of South Dakota. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what, that's what we're trying to figure out right now. So, all right, all those traveling, if you're listening to this as you're traveling, um, be safe, be smart. Uh, You'll get there safely eventually. Grandma is waiting with warm Apple cider, maybe some some coffee, some hot chocolate, some warm cookies. Is that what hillbillies? Because uh, in my mind, I was envisioning moonshine, but uh, <laughs> no. no, because they're like no. it's Dayton, Ohio hillbillies, so they don't do moonshine. No, I mean oh, maybe they, maybe Baptist. some do. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're probably Baptist. We'll have some hot chocolate and some oh. cookies. It's gonna be fun. Right. Well, we actually have. Uh, speaking of heading north tomorrow, uh, this is producer Micah's last episode with us he has listened to us run our mouths for 110 hours at least yeah at least i mean this is episode 101 101 yeah i'm surprised he made it that long i mean if i had to listen to myself and the amount of things he's had to edit out (laughs) yeah fair enough (laughs) haven't made it onto this podcast (laughs) so micah tell us you're moving on where are you going to be heading to they need to hear it from your mouth, like what you're doing exactly, because I find this to be hilarious. Yeah, you think it's a joke. That's hilarious. Um, well, because well, kind of is. Yeah, where I'm going next is I'm going to help out a uh, YouTuber named Jack Vale. Uh, basically what he does, he, he makes fart videos. 
and he's he's known as the fart guy on YouTube. And so I'm gonna help doing his socials and all his uh, pranks and stuff. That's where I'll be headed. Well, so, so a church to a fart video guy, right? Well, here's what's so common. This is another guy blowing hot air. It's just coming out of a different part of his body. <laughs> there you go. That's good. So he, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Jack actually, Jack and Sherry are friends. They they've been a part of Conduit for a while. And for those of you that are like, wait, what? He farts. He has a little machine that he has invented called a pooter, right? The pooter. Yep. And man, God bless America. He figured out that the way to sell those things was to walk into places like Walmart, fake fart with these things, get the responses on video. And he's, I don't know how many he sold, but enough to hire Micah away from us. So your job will be what now? You're going to be doing other clients, but this will be your... This is the one that people will find the most hilarious. Yeah, mainly doing his social media presence and just keeping up with all of his socials, posting every day, yeah. and then maybe, you know, film him on a, on a Walmart trip and yeah. just pranking people. So if you stumble on, if you're one of uh, Jack's 1.8 million subscribers on YouTube and you're watching uh, these videos, know that Micah has already been editing a lot of them, but he's going to be doing that full time now uh, among other clients. But So true story, there's a family in our um, small group. Um, who we were going around the room last week during our Christmas party. Like, how did you hear about Conduit? A lot of new families. And true story, they said, well, you're not going to believe this. Um, we were stopped at Walmart. We were shopping, and this guy was, like, making these farting noises. And <laughs> we were so – we thought it was so rude. And so uh, so they confronted him. They went at him. And, and you know, long story short, it was Jack – and obviously showed him the hidden camera that they had just gotten caught and asked him, you know, permission to put it in his video because he was recording here at Walmart in Franklin. And they start talking. Obviously, they're believers looking for a church, just moved to town, invites them to conduit. And they've been here for the past year and a half because of Jack and his Fort his pranks, <laughs> his pranks. And they're plugged in. They're serving. They're part of our small group. And, oh, that's it's, amazing. It's great. Because he actually does do a, a ton more, you know, film, you know, television, yada, yada. But the fact that that's I, I, the first Sunday he visited with his family, uh, Jason, immediately following that service. Dude, did you see the fart guy? Jack Vale's out there. You know, you know who that is, man? He's hilarious. He's he, uh, the second week he was there, I was standing at the back door with Mark Stewart from Audio Adrenaline. Yeah, I know it sounds like I'm name dropping, but I guess I kind of am. Mike from Mercy Me. And Jack walks, we're literally mid-sentence, and Jack walks by. We're mid-sentence in this deep conversation, and Mark goes, hey, is that Jack Vale, the fart guy? Like, he's the most famous guy in our church. He really is. Right? And listen, we got some <laughs> pretty prominent people, but he... <laughs> well, if you're looking for some good laughs, and uh, this, this weekend you're sitting around with Grandpa or your uncle... Uh, pull up Jack Vale, V-A-L-E, on YouTube and have some fun with that. Yeah. So, but anyways, thank you, Micah, for putting up with us each and every week. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Sad. Uh, we should, can you cue, can you drop in like Friends or Friends Forever? Do you know what that song is? <laughs> He's too young for that to appreciate you, Wait, you don't even know what that song is? Friends or Friends Forever? It's okay. Wow. Smitty. Yeah. A whole okay. generation. A whole generation. Well, this week... We're continuing through the book of John. Still in chapter six, but we're continuing through the book of John. I think this is week three on chapter six, but there's so much there. There's so much there. And this week, specifically, bread of life, talking about, he is talking, Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. And you ask three questions. What, 
what is the bread of life? Why does it matter? And how do I get it? Yeah. And it was, it was, it was a really good intro. Okay. You brought up uh, kind of a news article that talked about those trying to find life outside of Jesus working on their own mortality. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting uh, what's happening in Silicon Valley. Well, when you think about what Jesus was saying to this group here, the average mortality in this era was 40 to 43. Wow. Which is, by the way, common in most developing nations still today. I vividly remember a conversation with a a pastor in Haiti and him talking about he was 40 years old and he, and he was like lamenting uh, his future and his, you know, his life. And, you know, and, and, it, and I'm thinking, dude, suck it up, man. You're like 40 years old. You got, and then, uh, you know, on the plane ride home, it's like, oh, the average mortality in Haiti is 50, 48 or something like that. And so when Jesus is talking about the bread of life, eternal life, living forever. They were taking this quite literally, and by the way, because Jesus meant it quite literally, but it turns out whether it's an average mortality of 40 years, I mean, the United States right now, I believe it's 71, 72? No, it's seven. I I just looked it up. It was 76. We're at 76 now. Yeah. Female. Female. So we've already extended it far past what, most nations have experienced and it's not enough for most people like just not enough now bible quiz who's the oldest person in the bible recorded you're talking about methuselah i am talking about methuselah do you remember how old it's listed i was 900 oh man i want to say 964 but 969 not bad for a little pop quiz right pastor darren yeah 900 think about this I don't know that Nine, I should be proud that I know that or embarrassed. <laughs> I no, should be proud. 969 years on the earth, mm-hmm. which was somewhat common. I mean, Noah was 950. So the thing that theologians speculate is that as the earth grew more sinful, lifespans grew significantly shorter. Which is why, you know, when Abraham had a baby at, you know, 75, 78 years old, it was old, past childbearing years. And yet he had, a, he had a long time ahead of him still. So it wasn't uncommon to live longer. But as sin infiltrated the world, as you know, the, the nations became more and more sinful, lifespans became shorter and shorter and shorter to where we are now. And which is... The the thing about the billionaires of Silicon Valley especially is the number one problem that they're working on is immortality. Like it's – we humans are still the same. We want to live forever. Yeah. I mean if you haven't been paying attention, I, I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like always happening in the background. There's always this stuff happening in the background. And one of the things that's happening in the background, we've talked about it on here. But is this this idea of longevity, living longer, it's on the forefront of a lot of tech companies right now, finding ways to basically biohack um, ourselves yeah. genetically through DNA, 
through um, computers. Yep. You know, this is the uh, transhumanism has uh, come to the forefront. You know, Elon's leading the way. He just he just is. You know, with Neuralink, which they had a massive announcement this past week. They did a huge. I actually watched. I nerded out. It was like an hour long presentation from the nerdiest people you can possibly ina- uh, imagine. These scientists explaining how Neuralink's going to work. They did a big Neuralink rollout last week. And uh, if they get approval from the FDA in the next six months, which is their goal, they will start making these implants, these computer brain implants available across the country um, next year. I mean, I can't even begin to express the hardness of the pass that that is for me. That is the hardest pass, hard pass. <laughs> yeah, I mean... He the, loses me at cut a small hole in your skull. Right. Well, you know, then it's like, well, it's just the size of a quarter. Right. Like someone's got a jigsaw up there. Yeah. So so the presentation was showing how they're doing this, like the mechanics behind it um, and how it's not going to be that deep and it's going to be how it's going to heal this quickly and the types of machinery that they're using and... I mean, they have it all really well thought out on paper, um, but the goal is for mostly medical use to to help stop folks that deal with um, those that deal with seizures, those that deal with spasms, those that maybe have a limb that isn't working and unable to control. These implants will then give them the ability to use and think um, their way through using a a body part that maybe is. Um, paralyzed. Um, they've got a whole division devoted to helping the blind see through the this in particular implant. It's fascinating stuff, objectively. It is a, f- a fascinating, objectively fascinating. But doesn't it feel a little bit like... Uh, because I thought we'd be in flying cars by now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if, if you grew up in the 80s, you thought by now we'd be in a car that was flying. Or at least a jetpack. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. so, and those, you know, when all the, here's what we'll be in 30 years, things, you know. Like, none of that's happening. And the idea of what he's presenting right now, and, and I'm, clearly, I'm not a neurosurgeon, but what part of your, if, if you've got a nerve damage in your neck, clearly that's between you and the, and the, I don't know what it's going to like a little quarter up in your brain. So I, I I don't understand the technology of it, but the idea of, look, I was one of the people that was so excited for a Blackberry. (laughs) Like early 2000s? Oh, 97. Okay. It was a brick that sent email. Yeah. And I was giddy. It was right after having a pager probably. I actually might have still had a pager, maybe. I, I know I had a flip phone. And then I remember when they put them all on one mm-hmm. device. So you're, now your brick could also make a phone call and send an email. So at what point, like how fast does that go out of date on your little chip in your brain? And I mean, if you pulled up your iPhone 4 right now, it don't work anymore. Like, so do you have to keep getting a new Bluetooth enabled updates? wirelessly yeah they cover some of this as well it's it's insane it's amazing and insane at the same time it's super scary we all know this doesn't end well like we all know that yeah um 
but but they're they're on the forefront of figuring this out but that's just one facet of this biohacking that's happening in silicon valley and you you kind of brought to the forefront this idea of those that are trying to eat different live yeah. different would um, consume things differently that will enhance their their bodies to enable them to live longer yeah the idea that they like when you read what they do and i say they i know that's a vague statement but you know, this this piece, I think it was in The Guardian. Um, they were interviewing one of the, and by the, it's a longer piece. They actually interviewed a few of them. But, you know, just one guy that they were interviewing, when he explained what his day looks like, like your full-time job is to try to stay alive. So you literally, I mean, what was the calculation that you said he used to, for every? So, yeah, theory? I mean, based upon the, the, the type of, regiment that he goes through each day with his sleep with his um his exercise routine his meals which is a slurry of just vegetables and protein in a shake i mean it just sounds terrible but what he's saying is for every 365 days that pass he ages 277 so he's net like what is that? 90 something days, 92 days. Um, so which instead of aging 365 days for every 365 days, he's aging 277, which comes out to about a 25% increase in his lifespan. Yeah. And of course, because this is a you know great journalism, nobody bothered to ask the question, how do you know that? Right, there's no like, like you're just making no. this stuff up. Like there's no there's some computer model maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's impossible to quantify. To say that he's going to be 150 years, which was his goal. I mean, look, if you make it past 100, you know, Willard Scott will put you on the Today show with a jar of Smucker's jelly to wish you a happy birthday at 100 because there's only like a 10 of us in America. Whenever you see the 118-year-old from Japan, you know, it's uh, they get on the news because of seven billion people in the world. There's like one of them, like, and they look. Oh, they all look the same, which is like a, an apple that has been sitting out for too long. You know, just like, like an old catcher's mitt, like just crinkled <laughs> up. But, but we're living in a fallen world. Like everything's decaying. Yeah, yeah and that's the, I guess what the point that Jesus is making with "I am the bread of life" is that the claim he's making is there's a way to. Uh, not just have to exist, but to live forever. Because what these guys are talking about is extending their existence and at the cost of living their life. And we saw how, whether it's the CDC, whether it's the, the white coat population of the earth, the medical establishment, the, which are almost 85% secular progressive, what they're willing to sacrifice to maybe stay alive a little bit longer is not worth the cost. Like, it's just not. You can extend your life by, you know, if we all wore masks 24-7 for the rest of our lives, could we extend our lives? Nobody knows. The proof seems to be 100% not, by the way, but, you know, because of all the side effects of it. But is that worth the cost to, you know, to live? And the answer is no. And Jesus is making a claim here that, Long before Elon Musk, long before Dr. Anthony Fauci, these guys were, you know, Aristotle, Plato, that's the culture that they were in 300 years before, you know, we're talking about the, philosophically, what does it mean to live and to be alive and bios versus 
Zoe and Jesus. So, so, and Zoe is the Greek word that Aristotle, Plato would have used to talk about radical living. Like the best day of your life, the, the joy, the energy, the passion, all that. They would call that Zoe. And Jesus says, I'm Zoe, and I'm the bread that powers Zoe. Your, your ideals and your philosophy, because that was sort of the idea even for their logos, was that if I could just understand all this and I could be fully alive and you could discern the meaning of the universe. And Jesus starts John 1 saying, I'm the logos. And by John 6, he's saying, and I'm the bread of Zoe. So the, the logos that brings you Zoe is Jesus, not Plato, not Aristotle, not Dr. Fauci, and not Elon Musk. Yeah, you can eliminate a lot of risk by just not going anywhere. I mean, just stay at home. You know, I mean, there's risk in everything that we do. I mean, just getting in your car and coming here today, there was risk involved. I mean, mm-hmm. you could just make choices that um, minimize any risk whatsoever of, of, of death. It makes you wonder a little bit about just the metaverse idea too, where you just stick goggles on and you have all these experiences, any experience you want from the comfort of a chair in your home. As long as you're willing to forget that I'm just a fat dude sitting in my recliner with a with goggles on. Like at some point I have to forget right. that's the truth. Yeah. And live in this fake reality of the metaverse. Um, which seems so far, whether it's the technology isn't that great or whether it's – which I actually think it's because humans at the end of the day don't want that. Yeah. I, I think that they're – a guy like Zuckerberg might think that the world wants that because that's what he wants. Well, he's pulled way back. I don't know if you've read maybe what's happened in the past couple of months, but he has uh, <laughs> he has lost so much money on this already that mm-hmm. he's pulled way back on the idea, and he's basically saying, um, you know, in his in his very uh, alien esque way of talking, <laughs> like. <laughs> We realize that maybe not everyone is there yet uh, or that would really enjoy this. Like I think or thought that everyone would. And Actually, so I, did, scaled, I did not know that. Yeah, he's kind of backtracking a bit. Yeah, he's of, got some investors and not, uh, probably not the least of which is his wife watching their billionaire status, you know, be dwindling down and going, hey, this might have been a dumb idea. Bread of life. And I guess what's really cool, I mean, I don't want to get into what you're teaching on even for Christmas Eve, but there's some interesting things about the bread of life and the significance, the meaning, the symbolism of bread of life all through scripture. Yeah. You speak to some of that. You see, man, so the thing about the Bible that's amazing to me, which it's, it's amazing about God is that there are so he could be – it's like running um, a, a movie where you've got five or six storylines that all will dovetail together or like an episode of Seinfeld. Like they all comes together in the end. Um, that's the Bible but, but with like – it seems like infinite paths that are all running parallel to each other. And bread is one of those things that God would say. In fact, Jesus saying here, I'm the bread of life, it's, it's awesome because he didn't say – you know, I am the beef 
of life. <laughs> I am, and because that was a, that was rich. You would have said chicken. Ch- well, I don't know, man. Chick Fil A, the ribeye, bro. Oh. The ribeye of life. We're actually having this debate at our house right now about chicken and steak. Oh, there's no debate. It's okay. steak, okay. man. That debate has long been settled. <laughs> you, you, you don't, you don't look on the menu uh, uh, at the restaurant. The steak is way more expensive, right? The chicken, like that's just an afterthought. But they're just little dinosaurs, man, out there. Anyway, um, but bread, because it's the food that every everybody in every culture throughout history, yeah. the, whether you're poor or you're rich, bread is a staple of all uh, diets. So he was. First of all, making a claim that he is accessible to everyone, not just the rich, not just the powerful. Uh, And he makes this claim that he's the bread of life as being someone who was born in a city that God, again, ordained. I mean, Joseph and Mary, this this actually would be a good time for my my annual Joseph and Mary joke, that the first um, pregnancy hormones, cantankerous pregnant women, uh, is actually mentioned in the Bible uh, because... Because Joseph, uh, or Mary rode Joseph's ass all the way to Bethlehem. Yeah. Can yeah. we can we do laugh laugh track track right on that? Maybe a drum, a snare drum. Or something? <laughs> Sorry, I, I I learned I can't say that anymore in front of the church because there's kids. But anyway, oh, it's, um, a, it's a classic. Yeah, classic. Still holds. Classic. It's that, that joke has still got legs. Um, the, God ordains that they get back to the city of Bethlehem, and I say city very loosely. It was about 400 people, including women and children. And the name Bethlehem means house of bread. So Jesus being born in this little town, being put in a feeding trough for cattle, wrapped up like a little loaf of Jesus, <laughs> just laying in there. Like it's this perfect picture of what he's – so he's making this claim right after feeding 5,000 men, twenty probably 20, 25,000 people total – Manna from heaven was something that they were told in the in Jewish writings that the Messiah would make bread from heaven. Uh, and here's Jesus right after saying, I am, right? I am. He's feeding 5,000 people bread that he you know, just miraculously arrives with it and now making this claim that he is, he is that. And the claim of the gospel is not, um, I'm sad, Jesus, make me happy. It's not that I'm broke, Jesus make me rich. If you come to Jesus with, those, with that expectation, you don't understand what he came for because you know, I'm dead, I've come, you know, make me alive. Like that's what the bread of life is. That this promise that after this earth suit wears out on me, that turns into a, you know, a dehydrated apple, puckered up, whatever, like that it goes away. Uh, because I go on forever and this bread of life doesn't start only in eternity. It actually starts now. And it's always goes back to the gospel. And it is the gospel, which is that Jesus came that we might have life. Jesus came not to be a great example, to be a good teacher, because the only way that bread works for us is if you break it, when you chew it, when you bite it. I I think I said on Sunday, but I could lick it. I could rub it all over me. I could sleep on it, and it will not give me fuel unless I eat it. And so Jesus, by his body being broken, restored us, paid for the sin that separated us, restores us to God, to have Zoe. And so it's one of the things that I was so, um, I don't know, sad, angry, 
should talk to our therapist about this. I have a lot of feelings around it. When Christians were living in so much fear in March 2020, April 2020, I was like, wait a minute, do we not believe what we're do we not believe what we're saying? And it's not that we're going to be safe from it. That's what Jesus didn't promise that. But living alive, like not he, the, the promise couldn't, wouldn't never have been, you got to hide in a little hole until the doctor tells you you're okay to come out. It was never the life that he had for us. So if we believe this stuff, it's why we were, instead of locking ourselves up and hiding, we were rushing out and helping. And, and by the way, many, many Christians were doing that. We were not by any means the only ones. They were out there. But that's why we did it then, and it's why we will do it if it happens again, uh, because he gave us the bread of life, not just the bread to exist, not just a, another day of, of existing without any purpose or any meaning. And by him being the God of the universe, I mean, when you think about it, if you truly, and I'm not saying that I truly fully understand it, if the God of the universe did that for me, then clearly there's a reason for me to be here. Clearly there's a great purpose in my life. Clearly there's that he loved so much. You know, it's not making it about me. But, you know, when you try to talk about justifying your existence, if the only way to justify your existence is to be a productive member of society, that's a way to contribute. But it still doesn't justify why you're here, why you exist. But the God of the universe, paying that ultimate price for me, says that there is a reason that I'm here somewhere because he cared enough to keep me and to regain that relationship with me. His, yeah, his body broken restores us, like we talked about earlier, like the curse of sin um, ushered in death and destruction and um, our bodies fading away, but his body broken for us restores that so that we can live for not just 960 years, but for a millennia, right? for eternity. And live, not just exist. There's a reason why, you know, there's a hundred, seems like, you know, Highlander, whatever, all these films. Was it Highlander or Outlander? Anyway, like films of guys that are immortal and you live forever. And, and, and part of those, you know, those you know, films or books or whatever is that it actually is kind of miserable to live that long, you know, to be 400 years in. And now you're going to go through everybody you know and love is going to die and you're going to go on the going on existing forever without any Zoe is like, that is hell. Like, that's it. Just to exist, to just breathe. It's the equivalent of, you know, if you've been around, you've seen somebody who's uh, surviving on a ventilator or whatever. Like, it's like, that's just, they're here and they're breathing. Their heart's here. But is that, a, is that a living or is that existing? And people have to make decisions all the time. And, and, you know, what is, what risk are you willing to, you know, to take? But for, for us to say that, um, our life of existing without God forever is, is like the spiritual version of being on a ventilator. You're breathing, but you're not living. You know, one of the reasons we're, we're heading up to Ohio this weekend, uh, aside from obviously Christmas, but is to see our oldest living relatives right now who are in their late 80s. Uh, Grandpa is, I think, turns 88 uh, on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Which has always been fun over the years. Like New Year's Eve is Grandpa's birthday, so it's always been a party. And it means that his uh, his <laughs> parents got the tax break. They got the tax break. years ago. They made it just under the wire. 
It's, uh, 88 years, and I'm assuming he's living yeah. on a, a diet of broccoli uh, and slurry. Yep. And You know what Grandpa lives on? He lives on about three different things. Uh, four different things that I can think of Everybody, immediately. But if you if you don't have a pen, get a pen. Write this down. You're about to get the key to longevity right here. <laughs> this is true. No, it's just regular coffee, right? Just, just black. Just black coffee. Folgers? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, and then three, his three of his favorite things, and he's been consuming these as long as I can remember, going over to his house. He's got his box of Cheez-Its. <laughs> he's got his pack of Oreos. I was completely unprepared for that. <laughs> Cheez-Its. See, like five? Oreos. <laughs> and his vanilla ice cream. It, I'm, I'm serious. He'll have a bowl of vanilla ice cream every night before he goes to bed. He wakes up with his coffee. And then in between the, the ice cream and the coffee over the course of the day, he's pounding some Cheez-Its and eating some Oreos. Because he's the king of his world. And he's the king of our world. <laughs> 88 years old. So Oreos, Cheez-Its... Uh. Ice cream and coffee. Man, I could crush that. That's what I'm saying. And he's he's strong as a ox, man. I mean, I'm telling you, he's one of the strongest men I've ever met in my life. And so he's gonna be 88. What's beautiful about that, though, and one of the reasons, like I said, we're going up there is he's gonna he's going to meet his great great grandson this weekend mm. on Christmas Day. And just the beauty behind that entire thing. And so will Grandma. Grandma's just behind him. I think she's 86. And. Uh, and what a moment that's going to be yeah. to have that longevity and to, yeah, I mean, they're struggling with their health. We, we're, we are, uh, we're up against some time with them, mm-hmm. um, but they're going to be fully alive this weekend with family and grandsons and great grandsons and yeah. daughters and great, great grandson. Yeah. That's um, a very, very rare like for families, especially right now, five generations, five generations in aunt Chris has already written up a little article. She's going to present to the local paper with a picture because they want to document Wait. five living generations. What's the, uh, uh, what's the name of the local paper? The Dayton Democrat? Like what? No, no. I'm sure there, I'm sure that does exist. The Dayton no. flashlight. What's no. the local paper? No, I don't know. It's you like, don't even know it, do you? No, it's the, uh, it's, it's a little suburb, little Waynesville, Ohio, their little publication. Um, she's so excited to, to tell the world about these five living generations. And that'll probably make it on the front page. It, it very well. That's man. like front page news in Waynesville, man. Yeah. Like five generations of hillbillies in one room. Like it's that's pretty exciting. And 88. And, you know, look, we were talking about this a little bit ago, but it's not that we shouldn't be a good steward of our health. That's not at all what we're saying. If anything, I'm... The, I I've, I remember having the conversation with a doctor friend in March of 2020. You ever wondered why there's no flu season in in Haiti? And the answer was no. I had not wondered that. And he said because they don't lack vitamin D. It's a hormone. It's not a vitamin, and you only get it in sunlight. And Americans do not live outside long enough. And I literally ordered uh, vitamin D off of Amazon while talking to him in front of my house, and have been taking it every day for two and a half years. Yeah, because there are things that we can do to steward our bodies and steward our, our lives. But there's a way of that where you're stewarding your health without becoming a slave to it, you That's know? Right. And, and, and th- there's just something to be said for, there's a genetic lottery in the Genesis three world that while some, some people are born with genetics that cause, you know, cancers when they're children, which is horrible. Some are born with a genetic that I don't, know, it's like a cast iron DNA, you know, like my grandfather 
on my father's side lived in 93 on a diet of red man shoe and Budweiser. <laughs> I mean, Crisco in the cast iron skillet, oh, pork chops and gravy this and Nebraska. Uh, yeah, Kansas, Nebraska. He was, yeah. we're right on the line. He'd just drive his truck around. I assure you, he wasn't exercising. Like he had long retired from farming, but you know, on the other side, my mom died at 61 and I genuinely think that she could have actually lived much longer because uh, her health choices were horrible. I mean, do you guys know what Jolt Cola is? I remember Jolt. Okay, I can't believe it. I don't know if I should say this out loud. My poor mother. At one point, Mountain Dew wasn't enough. Yeah, it had like the highest concentration of caffeine in a single can of cola. And it tasted horrible. Horrible. Yeah, it was not good. It was not tasty. Syrup. It was straight syrup. Yeah. And she would keep one of those, like, because at one point in America, we decided large wasn't enough. It was like you needed a pail, the a, a bucket with a with a handle on it, and that, she'd she'd be nursing Jolt Cola like all day, sixty four ounce. Yeah, I was like jug. <laughs> like man, like I don't think she ever drank water, like ever, but. There are things that you can do that, you know, we, we know that. I'm not being naive and saying just live on, although Cheez-Its and Oreos. Mm, bless God. And ice cream. That feels like a good way to, to live, man. <laughs> but th- there's that steward of it without becoming a slave to it. And ultimately knowing that Jesus, the bread of life, is offering us this on this side of heaven. And I've, I would say I've experienced it. Um, in, in a few different ways because I, I, just a couple chapters ago, Jesus talks about his meat and his drink was the mission to finish what God had called him to do. So if you're looking for, okay, you said the bread of life. Well, how do I actually eat this bread? Number one would be that. I think it's John 4, John 3, whatever, like the meat. My meat is to do the will. So there's a, there's a food, there's a sustenance to that. There's a sustenance to his words. Um Corinthians talks all about his word being meat and milk and like it's a sustenance of his words. So, you know, time in the word every day is is 100% a way to take in, of course, number three being communion, you know, the gospel, the actual, there's an actual eating of something, but there's a spiritual eating of the gospel in into you. And then a th- fourth one, John 15, he talks about uh, the vine and the branches and the producing fruit. And there's the imagery of me being, uh, a, I, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Me being a branch is that I have to stay attached to the vine so that I can have the sustenance to produce fruit. And so abiding is like praying. I'm abiding with Christ in prayer. So those four ways, and I think we need all four of them. You know, it's th- that is not the way to salvation. He says in here, the, my work, the work, what, what, what work must we do to get this? And he says, the only work you do is to believe in the one who sent him, which basically is another way of saying the only way to do that, your work is to believe that the work doesn't work. Um, and so on this side, though, the sustenance that we're eating is where the Zoe is going to come from. So, I, you know, like, I don't know how you feel after you polish off a, a pint of something, ice cream, but I don't necessarily feel that great. And I can literally tell when I'm not hydrated. I can tell now. I've, I can feel it. I can feel when I'm not eating right. I'm feel, 
So whatever we're eating is what we're going to be existing with. And in this context, Jesus saying the bread of life, that's four ways to get the bread of life, to get Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not, you know, me next to him, not me standing near him, but him in me. And at least for that's just literally off the top of my head. There's probably other things you could think of, but those four things for sure are in the word about how we can appropriate that into our lives. One of the things that you address that we hear a lot in pop culture right now um, from a lot of like life coaches and um, (laughs) sorry, if you're a life coach, I apologize. And well, I mean, it's just, it's definitely, it's definitely a cultural mindset of uh, this idea of doing whatever makes you come alive. Yeah. You use this quote from Howard Thurman says, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Now that sounds really, I mean, it really does sound okay. Like I can get my head around that. Like, I want to do whatever that thing that just makes me come alive and full of passion about and make it happen. Go do that. Chase that thing, which is a message we hear a lot mm-hmm. in culture right now. Yeah, it's a great bromide. Uh, I, I've probably used it young when I was younger version of me. But older me knows that when, when he talks in John about don't work for the food that spoils, that's kind of what he means because there are things you can do that you enjoy – and, and, and look, maybe the, the glimmer of truth in that is we are all gifted in certain ways. Like if I'm, you know, as well as I do, the last person we need to be doing the accounting around here and keeping track of spreadsheets and numbers is me. <laughs> you know, that part of me doesn't exist, right? So there's a gifting thing we're talking about. That's why I have a job. That's, that's, that's why Mo <laughs> will always, always, as long as he wants to be here, we'll be here. Uh, but that's the, the gifting thing, right? And so... But when it comes to like that statement, what where it falls short is that is focusing on what you're doing, not on who you are being. It's about a what to do, not a you know who. And Jesus is Jesus didn't say that uh, obey me and then you'll have life. He just said believe in me and then you'll have life. So if you focus on what you're doing, you know we, we, eventually you get bored of it. Remember, like, people would say when in the music world. And you, oh, what a great, isn't that a cool job? Isn't that, you know, and, and it sounded cool, sounded great on paper, but eventually you're sitting on a tour bus 28 hours from home and you're not almost there thinking, man, this the new war off of this a long time ago. Now, are there worse ways to make a living? Yeah, I wasn't digging coal mines in England. Like I definitely knew that there were worse jobs, but at the same time, if focusing on what I was doing wasn't enough to give Zoe life, not a sustaining one. It was a, have a good night, have good things, but, and you could take that down the line. It's why guys like Jack Dorsey of Twitter will talk about how he wants to extend his life. And then simultaneously in another interview talking about depression and anxiety and sadness and how it's overwhelming to him. And because the, the, it's not a Zoe, it's a food that's spoiled. It's not a food that lasts forever. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, something you said just a second ago, kind of in passing, was really stood out. Jesus didn't say to obey me to have yeah. 
eternal life. He just said, believe me. And I think the culture that I grew up in, um, the the religion that I grew up in, which was set me on a track that was very good, very positive. It kept me out of a lot of trouble. Found Jesus there. He was in it. Um, but the the premise, though, was obedience all the time. Yeah. Follow the rules, um, which, again, is, is fine in of itself. There's protection there. Um, but, man, it didn't necessarily bring life. You're, you're as good as your last mistake kind of a thing. Um, rather than just resting yeah. in the grace and mercy of Jesus and believing that he, he bore that for me. Yeah. I mean, he talks in, it's, he's going to talk, I think, in chapter 15. If you obey, if you love me, you will obey my commands. That's right. Okay. That's right. So obedience is a part of serving a king, but our king is good. He's perfect. And so the only thing he's ever, the things he asks us to do, the things that he commands us to do are not like a burden. Like it's a, it's for, it's for our flourishing. Yeah. When it comes to our culture of, of sexuality, um, there was a, a report this last week. Uh, I think it was reported. I don't remember which paper, but th- that porn addiction through the pandemic has gone up like skyrocketed through the pandemic. Turns out you lock a bunch of guys alone in their room with their phone and they're going to find something to do. But that's not a victimless crime. So Jesus' commands around sexuality, around one man and one woman, one, I guess I have to say these days, naturally born man and one naturally born woman, because that's not a given anymore in our culture. But it's not because it's a burden to us. It's how we were designed to live. So... In the same way that I don't blow dry my hair in the bathtub because that's not how a blow dryer was designed to work. There's a risk around that. Like staying within the confines of what he has commanded us to do is, is for our flourishing. So, you know, his commands, you know, as humans, they go against what we want. They go against our, our, our carnal desires. And so it feels like it's a burden. But it's not. And what you're describing where it becomes where it's not life to you and why Jesus didn't say, obey me to get Zoe, just believe me, is we, man, we humans, we make rules about everything. Everything. Oh, man. Yeah. Trying to figure out how to, uh, and, and at the end of the day, there's, there are rules that are good. Driving a certain speed, that's not asking too much of us well it might be on this trip north this weekend i'm just saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna wish that when you're sitting in standstill traffic because everybody's trying to get there before the storm but you'll have some you'll have some time to think about that uh, but that's you know there's there's laws that that are there but you know just like i mean our country at this point the amount of laws on the books are literally hundreds of thousands of pages thick it's why when they pass legislation you know Someone like uh, Pelosi will say, well, we have to pass the bill to see what's in the bill. Like she said that out loud, by the way. But what she's saying is actually, she just said the quiet part out loud, which is that we always do this. Like we do this all the time. We're always passing laws that we don't even know what's in it um, because there's just too much. And everything happens, you get a new rule. Everything happens, you get a new rule. That's literally what Jesus, that's why the Pharisees were, you know, God gave them 10 commandments that are really not that burdensome. You know, don't, don't kill your neighbor. 
don't have sex with his wife. Don't don't uh, don't uh, take the name my name and attach it to your agenda. Don't take my name in vain. And then somehow the Pharisees, by the time Jesus was there, it was like six hundred and thirteen things that they were enforcing like a morality police. That's not life. That's just a giant law book. And Jesus came to say, I didn't come to, I came to fulfill the law, meaning he came to, he didn't kill anybody. He didn't have sex with his neighbor's wife. He didn't take the name of the Lord in vain. He didn't murder, you know, murder. Um, So he came to fulfill it and then give us grace because we literally can't be perfect and can't do it, which is again, the gospel. And then now gives us power to say, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to my wife. The hard days and the good days, because at the end of the day, that's how I was designed. And being married 28 years, I can tell you, it's worth it. Uh, because God's way was the way that it's meant to be. Bread of life. Are you going to continue into the last part of John 6 after the first of the year? Or are we, we heading into John 7? TBD. I do think I need to... There's something so fascinating in that whole thing about why he called Judas that I just don't want to skip. Mm, like he nugget in there. Yeah. Like he just throws in this little line about Judas. One of you is a devil. And Jesus called him. So what's up with that? <laughs> so I don't <laughs> maybe, know. Maybe, yeah. maybe that, that might be a deeper... Yeah. I'm excited about getting to John 7 because they start talking about the feast and the Holy Spirit. And there's so mm. much stuff... You know, so I find myself in this tension of, you know, not wanting to be in John until Ethan graduates high school. But also, you know, like I said, like Dr. Easley is like, well, you got to, why rush, man? You got to preach something next week. Might as well just take your time. So yeah. somewhere between those two. Well, as we wrap up chapter six and, and head into seven over the next couple of weeks, um, you know, we might take a couple of weeks off here with family and with Christmas and the holidays. We'll be back on track soon. Um, but those of you that are, are listening and have listened this year, thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking time. Thank you for your emails um, that encourage us to keep doing this. Um, those of you that, that stop us in the hall on a Sunday and just uh, you know send encouragement um, that you're getting something out of these deeper uh, studies into the scripture, um, we appreciate it. We appreciate you guys taking time to do that. Be safe this weekend. Dress warm. Drive safely. Maybe adhere to the to the speed limit. I'm talking to myself right now. It's probably not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, I'll do my best. And uh, we just want to wish you guys just a very Merry Christmas. And we will see you in 2023.